Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023 and the end of week 46 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,241 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 322 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that the appointment of unpopular and previously dismissed Central District Commander Colonel General Alexander Lapin to Chief of Staff of Russian Ground Forces will add to the ongoing strife and power struggle between rival factions in the Kremlin and the Russian Ministry of Defense. Second, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Surovyakin, is under increasing pressure to create progress on the battlefield. Third, we maintain there is an elevated risk of punitive missile and drone attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure. Fourth, we maintain that Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fifth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident, caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Sixth, our assessment that Russia, Ukraine, or both would launch a significant offensive operation on January 7th was accurate, with Russian forces concentrating massive military resources on Solodar, with a significant increase in combat activity during the so-called ceasefire called by the Kremlin just the day before on January 6th. Seventh, we assess that Russian forces led by private military company or PMC Wagner Group have taken the initiative on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis, but remain largely defensive through the rest of Ukraine. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations, despite the slow success on the Solidar axis. Ninth, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. Tenth, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. And finally, we maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. Let's get some regional updates and, since it's been a while, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. 
The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. On the Kremina axis, Russian forces continue trying to block further advances into Chervenopopivka with significant fighting along the P-66 highway in the eastern part of the town. On January 9th, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Dibrova had been liberated, and on January 10th reported that Russian attacks on the hamlet of Kuzmina were repulsed. Civilians in Kremina reported hearing small arms fire from the southern part of the city, indicating that Ukrainian forces are less than a thousand meters from the southwestern part of the settlement. Mercenaries with Rybar reported that Russian positions in Kremina are now under constant and intense artillery fire. Our updated map shows Ukrainian forces advancing from the southwest toward the city. Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, without any success, and Ukrainian forces made incremental gains to the east toward Shipolivka. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center of Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported rockets fired by HIMARS struck Chornokhine, east of Horlivka. There was no additional information at the time of recording. Some assessment here. Fighting has become more concentrated around Kremina as the Russian Ministry of Defense wrestles with a lack of armored vehicles, an ammunition shortage, and focusing most of its combat resources on Solidar Bakhmut. Thousands of Mobiks have slowed the Ukrainian advance along the entire axis, but have been unable to stop it. The fighting in Solidar Bakhmut, as well as concerns about a possible attack from Belarus in western Ukraine or toward Kyiv, has tied up a significant number of Ukrainian reserve forces. Kremina is not encircled by any definition, but it is in a salient with limited support from ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. On the Lysychansk axis, limited fighting around Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, continued. PMC Wagner claimed to have completely captured Solidar, while Russian propagandists Ridovka claimed that Wagner had surrounded Ukrainian forces. The Russian Ministry of Defense made no statements to support Wagner's claims at the time of recording, with Rybar and mercenaries with War Gonzo, who we find more reliable, reporting continued fighting in the town. There wasn't any information to support Ukrainian forces being surrounded. On the contrary, a short video from PMC Wagner doesn't support that Ukrainian forces are east of the salt mine complex. On the Solidar axis, Russian VDV those are airborne forces, and PMC Wagner made gains southwest of Yakovlivka, taking the high ground west of the town. Russian forces have reportedly moved artillery and mortar units into the area to establish fire control over the main Ukrainian G-lock into Solidar. In our assessment, this is a calculated risk in moving artillery units this close to the front lines of fighting. 
Intense fighting is reported in Solidar with significant fog of war. PMC Wagner released multiple pictures with Yevgeny Prigozhin allegedly in the salt mine complex. At least two pictures have been attributed to the gypsum mine complex in Bakhmutska, while others appear to be a salt mine. The challenge is the photos cannot be geolocated, and PMC Wagner has not shared a surface video at City Hall or other significant central buildings with a Russian flag and platoon-sized force holding musical instruments. That's their their typical victory calling card. Pro-Ukrainian journalists furiously denied Wagner's claims, also without providing any picture or video evidence. Wagner has made an increasing number of false victory claims in the last 45 to 60 days, so we are skeptical due to the lack of above-ground evidence. PMC Wagner forces have taken control of Bakhmutska. Assessment here. Russian forces have gone all-in, as it were, to capture Solidar, using their limited artillery resources to decimate the city center and suffering catastrophic losses pushing light infantry into strong Ukrainian defensive positions. Ukrainian defenders are also suffering heavy casualties, and Ukrainian forces will likely be unable to defend the remainder of Solidar without a significant infusion of troops, artillery, and armor support outside the urban areas. The first attempt to advance on Solidar was on July 26th, and attacks have been almost relentless ever since. Ukraine has established an echelon defense with significant depth, so continued advances will be difficult and bloody, given that PMC Wagner doesn't have enough artillery, armor, or close air support. It's important to note that the situation in Solidar is shrouded in the fog of war, a communications blackout by the GSAFU, and significant disinformation operations by PMC Wagner social channels. On the Bakhmut axis, little has changed north and east of the city. Wagner mercenaries attempted to push past the gas station at the T-1302 and M-3, or E-40, highway interchange south of Pithorodne, with Russian forces claiming to have captured the town. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended the city, and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting along the M3, or E40, and T1302 highway interchange. Wargonzo reported continued fighting for control of the settlement. On the eastern edge of Bakhmut, little has changed, with the line of conflict relatively stable. PMC Wagner may have entered the same two to four block area of homes on the very eastern edge of the city, and there were reports of fighting, quote, in the area of the Artwine factory which remains under Ukrainian control. PMC Wagner and Ukrainian forces continue to fight in Opitne, with the suburb four kilometers south of Bakhmut remaining a no-man's land. South of Bakhmut, Russian sources that earlier claimed that Klishayivka was all but captured are now reporting that Russian forces broke through Ukrainian defenses and are advancing on the settlement. We're very skeptical due to the repeated false claims, especially from you, Rybar, and the lack of any photo or video evidence. Borgonzo and the GSAFU reported continued fighting, quote, in the area. The GSAFU also reported that another attempt by PMC Wagner to cross the canal near Kurdyumivka was unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces maintain their position on the northern edge of Mayorsk near the customs building and the train station. Some assessment? 
On December 27th, we reported that the attack on Bakhmut had reached a culmination point. The renewed intensity of fighting on Solidar that started on January 6th is a new offensive operation heavily dependent on light infantry attacks. Fighting is intense along the entire axis, but beyond Solidar, the operational tempo has been reduced from 30 days ago, particularly south of Bakhmut. There is a significant risk of another Pyrrhic victory for Russian forces, where the capture of Solidar could leave the Russian military presence in Ukraine on the brink of combat destroyed and unable to mount any additional large-scale offensive without additional mobilization. Another consideration Russian commanders will have to make if Ukrainian forces break through at Kremina in Luhansk and threaten Rubizhne is whether to reallocate assets to defend Severodonetsk and Lusychansk with Ukrainian forces behind the Wagner line in that scenario. Kremlin politics with animosity between Prigozhin and General Lapin is another factor that could change the situation. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. During our break, the situation quieted down on the Avdiivka axis. Positional fighting occurred south of Vodyana, and the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, First Army Corps, once again attempted to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske without success. On the Marinka axis, after weeks of false claims about the imminent fall of Marinka or its outright capture, fighting continued in the city's central area with no change in the situation. The First Army Corps also attempted to advance on Pobida without success. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with Russian forces conducting 46 fire missions on free Ukraine, killing two and wounding two more. In the city of Kherson, there were 14 artillery strikes targeting residential districts. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and still no update on the status of negotiations for demilitarization. Otherwise, Russia and Ukraine exchanged sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to Sherbaki. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that there were two vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, neither of which are missile carriers. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. 
In Kharkiv, the Russian Ministry of Defense successfully destroyed a warehouse full of fireworks. We were skeptical, too, until we watched the multiple videos of the secondary explosions that are definitely non-military-related fireworks. We were skeptical, too, until we watched the multiple videos of the secondary explosions that are definitely non-military-related fireworks. Some Russian mill bloggers claim the strike was on a large ammunition depot, despite the video resembling Honolulu's New Year's Eve. No, seriously, Hawaii went hard on New Year's Eve. Like, it was kind of a disaster. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.